Father, thank you for your word to us in Mark's gospel. Thank you that you speak through your word. We pray that you would speak to us as we study these verses together now. Amen. I have a question to kick us off this morning. Uh, I have to give the credit to our, our pastor, Dan, for this question. Uh, he used it a few weeks ago in one of our in-person services, if you were there. Uh, but my question is, uh, what do you bring in your coming to church backpack? But what do you bring in your metaphorical coming to church backpack? As you, as you come to a church service uh, online or in person, what do you bring with you? Your, uh, your great week at work, uh, the quiet times you've done this week, your, your vigilance on the WhatsApp chats and your quick godly responses, your, your knowledge of this person's struggle or the tough time that person is going through, your, uh, your squeaky clean delightful children, your uh, pretty near perfect marriage, your, your beautiful home that you'd be using for hosting if we weren't on lockdown. Or perhaps a better question is, is what don't you bring? What do you, um, what do you very much leave at home or, or, or out of the camera's view? You're, you're relieved perhaps that this is a webinar and so no one can see your screeching children or the state of disarray of your home and your mind or the tear stains down your cheeks this morning. You don't wanna stick around for the breakout groups afterwards because to be honest, you'd rather not reveal that you can't really cope with another lockdown, that you literally couldn't get out, out of bed yesterday morning, that you'd rather it were a working day than the weekend because you find your children such hard work, or you just find it so hard to work out how to fill a long, empty day on your own. What do you bring in your coming to church backpack? And what do you very much leave at home? I think, uh, I think that's quite a good prism through which to consider the passage that Audrey just read for us. Um, for in it, we, we see two people or groups of people coming to Jesus. Children in verses 13 to 16, in verses 17 to 22, uh, a, a rich young ruler, uh, according to Luke's account of this event. And I think Mark wants us to see the contrast between these two comings to Jesus. You may have spotted, as Audrey read, um, the repetition of language around sort of receiving or entering the kingdom of God in verse 15, verse 23, verse 24 and verse 25. So I think these two little episodes put side by side uh, encourage us to raise the question of how we come to Jesus. What do we bring when we come to Jesus? What's in our backpack? And why is that? And I think there are, there are three points that we can take from what Jesus says here. The first, pack your bag with nothing. Verses 13 to 16, pack your bag with nothing. So we start the passage with a scene in which, um, verse 13, uh, people are bringing children to Jesus. And um, as you might remember from a few weeks ago, from Mark chapter 9, verses 36 to 37, uh, children were not viewed at all highly in first century Jewish culture. So Jesus' disciples in verse 13 are no doubt rightly in their eyes trying to clear the decks for Jesus. Pastor Jesus shouldn't be out in the crash, you're too important for that. Jesus, however, indignant at their attitude in verse 14, gives them a pretty clear-cut correction. 
let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Busy Jesus has no time for these disciples. But, but why such a strong reaction, Jesus? Why does it matter so much that, that these children are received? Well, it's because they're precious to Jesus. But it's not just because they're precious to Jesus. It's because they're also a picture. Look at what Jesus says in verse 15. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. These children, they're a picture, a metaphor of the people, all the people, any person who will receive the kingdom of God. Receiving the kingdom of God just means becoming and being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus. So if you want to be a Christian, says Jesus, if you want to follow me, look at these children. You're going to need to be like that, says Jesus. Now, I don't think Jesus is sort of holding up the virtues of children here, you know, some sort of blissful innocence or, or naive curiosity. I think what Jesus is holding up isn't so much what children have, what they are like, but what they lack. And the reason children come rightly is because they come with nothing. Give a child a Christmas present and you won't see that glimmer of fear behind their eyes because they didn't get you one, or the one they got you was only half the value of the one you got them. Um, invite a child to your home and they won't get their diary out at the end to book a date that you can come over to them. No. That's a child and they simply accept it. They receive it. They don't think they need to pay you back. It, it doesn't even occur to them that they could pay you back. They just enjoy the gift. And that, says Jesus, is how we must come to him if we want to receive the kingdom of God. Verse 15. We must receive it, not trying to give something back, not offering anything in exchange, with nothing in our backpacks. For truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Strong words. And perhaps there are some listening in who haven't yet come to Jesus. Perhaps you're not yet a Christian. You fear maybe that, that he won't accept you, that it's too late now, that, that you haven't lived a good enough life. You're not, not the right sort of person to be religious. Well, don't worry. Jesus calls you to come to him like a child with nothing to give, with nothing in your backpack. He's not interested in an exchange. He's not interested in what you've got to offer him, your gifts, your skills, your talents, your time. He gave up his life for you on the cross. What could we possibly give him in exchange for that? Come to him like a child with nothing in your backpack and he will take you in his arms and bless you. Verse 16. And for those of us who are already Christians, isn't this a huge relief? As we come to God each week, each day, 
each morning. We can come to him with nothing. We don't have to pretend. We can come on our knees, broken by the week we've had and by our sin, with nothing to give, with an empty bag. We can come like a child, knowing that we will receive. There's no obligation, no, no possibility that we could pay him back. In a world where so much is earned, where we have to work so hard for the smallest of things, isn't that such a huge relief? But uh, Mark doesn't feel, seem to feel that, that his point is fully made yet, because we don't really move on, do we? Uh, in verses 17 to 31, with the account of the rich young ruler, called simply a man, here in verse 17, perhaps to emphasise that he stands for all of us, uh, we see Mark continue Jesus' teaching on this subject, this subject of how we come to Jesus. And um, if the account of Jesus and the little children taught us to pack our bags with nothing, the account of this man teaches us to throw out everything that's already in there. So that's our second point. Throw out everything that's already in there. Verses 17 to 25. You see, I think this man probably does come to Jesus thinking he's bringing nothing. We, we can't fault him for his earnestness and his humility running and falling on his knees before Jesus, verse 17, addressing him as good teacher with his top-notch question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus gives this, this bizarre response, doesn't he, in verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Well, sorry, did, did you catch the question, Jesus? What, what are you talking about? But Jesus very much did catch the question. And it's all wrong. I wonder, can you spot why? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Can you see the problem? What does this man think is going to get him into heaven? Or more specifically, who does this man think? is going to get him into heaven. What well, he thinks that he is. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus becomes no more than the, uh, that special phone number that you can ring, the helpline, to give you that extra clue in the cryptic crossword so you get that rush of success as you finally finish off the puzzle. What must I do? to inherit eternal life. Jesus uh, gently tries to correct him, pointing out that good is, is a much higher standard than he might realise, verse 18, and giving him the opportunity to weigh himself against the commandments. But the man just responds piously, un unthinkingly, verse 20. Teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy, giving himself a big fat tick in the teacher's mark book. And I have no doubt that he was a pretty blameless guy. I'm sure he hadn't murdered anyone or had an affair or stolen or lied in court or committed fraud. But he seems to have rather missed the point. You see, if you think that all God requires of you is the keeping of a few rules. If you think that abiding by a few do nots 
is all the standard of God's holiness means, then you are sorely, sorely mistaken, says Jesus. For holiness isn't just about what you don't do. It's not the tick list of things to avoid that the Pharisees had made back in chapter 7, as Charlotte was saying earlier. And it's not even about what you do do. It's not a list of positive things to keep, like the one about honouring your parents. Holiness, it's about being like God. In Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus tells his disciples, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Holiness is about being like God. But maybe some of us are a bit confused about the idea of God's holiness. Perhaps we think of God more as um, someone who doesn't do bad things rather than someone who's wonderfully and intensely good. We sort of think of him as a kind of neutral person who manages um, like a slalom skier to avoid the sins that we fall into. God is so much better than that. He is so good. He is holy. Read Isaiah. Read Revelation. Read Exodus. Read R.C. Sproul, Jason, if you want to get a better handle on God's holiness. A.W. Tozer uh, once said, holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Holiness is not just a tick list of things to not do. To be holy is to be like God. That's where the bar is. Jesus says to this man. And so verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But hang on, we might say, hang on. After all that, it's not about what you do. Jesus gives him something to do. Well, surely that's not fair. But look at those final two imperatives. Come, follow. This isn't simply another couple of things added to the bottom of the to-do list. This is the command, the thing. This man needs to do, if he wants to inherit eternal life, he needs to come and follow Jesus. It's a call to discipleship, a call to relationship with Jesus, a call to replace the law as a taskmaster, Christ as king. It's not just a moving of the goalposts, it's a shifting of the game onto an entirely different pitch. Jesus is asking this man, to give up everything and follow him. Just as he asked his disciples at the end of Mark chapter 8. You see, this man might think that he's coming to Jesus with nothing in his backpack. But Jesus asks him to turn his backpack upside down and give it a good hard shake. As it turns out, there's actually quite a lot still in there. Quite a lot that this man isn't willing to give up. For verse 22, at this the man's face fell. 
he went to his son because he had great wealth. You see, as well as packing your bag with nothing, you have to throw everything out that's already in there. An eerie silence descends as the man walks away at the end of verse 22. You could have had a pin drop that this man, undoubtedly upright and blameless, surely thought highly of, God, highly of by God, having been blessed with so much wealth, walks away rejected by and rejecting Jesus. And Jesus surveys the situation in verse 23. And into the stony silence, he says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's a line at the very heart of this passage, repeated in verse 24 and again in verse 25. It would be easier says Jesus in verse 25, to squeeze a six foot camel through the 1.5 millimetre eye of a needle than for a rich person to get their way into heaven. Uh, you might, uh, like me, have heard of the story of the eye of the needle apparently being, um, being a gate in the city wall. Um, but apparently that, that's just a medieval urban myth. Jesus is actually just using a metaphor. It would be easier to squeeze a six foot camel to the 1.5 millimetre eye of a needle than for a rich person to squeeze their own way into heaven. I wonder, do we need to give our bags a good hard shake this morning? We think, like this man, we come to God with nothing, but we don't realise what lurks at the bottom of our bags, what we're not willing to let go of. I wonder, are we, like this man, clinging on to our works, our success in keeping the rules, or onto our wealth? Are we willing to give them up to Jesus? I've wrestled this week with how this might apply to us, and you might be able to share more insights in Home Group this week than I've gained. But in particular, this first one, because I don't think any of us would think that we're bringing our works to Jesus. We know the gospel too well for that. We know we're saved by grace. But I wonder, I wonder whether it's that sense of satisfaction that we get, that, that little feeling of pride when we've kept the Christian rules. What are the Christian rules? All those things that we do by which we judge ourselves and each other. Reading your Bible and praying the right amount quoting the right Christian speakers, reading the right books, listening to the right podcasts, knowing the right theology, keeping up the right level of church commitment and involvement, serving in the right ways, keeping your foot in the door with the right people at church. Some of those things that we might have in our coming to church backpacks that we were considering at the beginning. And so perhaps, perhaps it's when how you feel before God is determined not so much by what Christ has done for you as by how you're doing in your Christian life this week, how you're grading yourself, how others are grading you against some of those Christian rules we like to follow. Maybe that's where we see this. And I can promise you that's a weekly, if not a daily, struggle for me. So be careful, warns Jesus. Pack your bag with nothing as you come to Christ. 
and throw out everything that's already in there. And the second challenge, the challenge not to cling on to our wealth. It's also tricky, isn't it? I mean, it's tempting to sort of skate over it. I mean, we know that no one can get into heaven, um, including the rich, and we sort of, we, we skate over it perhaps. Because, I mean, no, no one really feels wealthy, do they? We, we can all point to the person next to us who's better off than we are. And yet I think, reading this passage, we have to ask, whether we're clinging on to our wealth in ways we don't realise. Again, want to chat through with a friend or, or a home group this week. Some things you might want to consider. How do we make and justify financial decisions? The holidays, the hobbies, the little luxuries that so easily grow unchecked. The house, uh, the house of a certain size, the extension, the new kitchen has to be in a within a certain distance of East Oxford so we can host. The amount that we're willing to spend on our children. Or the, the untouchable, sacrosanct savings. Or our attitude to giving. We'll give this much, but no more. We'll give out of what we've got left at the end of the month, rather than what comes in at the beginning. We'll give to this type of cause, but not that one. The affront we feel when we receive a personal request for financial support. Maybe those could be a few things to, uh, to chew over this week. And this isn't to say that God calls us all to sell everything we have, as he calls this man to. This was a specific command for this specific man. And there are many godly, rich Christians in the Bible. It's more a question of our attitude to our money. Is our wealth a gift that God's given us to steward well and use to bless others? Or is it something that we cling on to for confidence? A safety blanket in the bottom of our backpacks? Are we willing to tip up our backpacks and pour our money out? So we've seen that we must pack our bags with nothing. More than that, we must throw out everything that's already in there. But Mark still isn't quite ready to move on. He still doesn't quite feel that the point is made. As we then get this extended section and reporting the disciples' response to this teaching and their conversation with Jesus. And that brings us to our final point. Let Jesus fill your bag instead. Verses 26 to 31. Let Jesus fill your bag instead. Still reeling, the disciples ask a question. Um, where the man asked in verse 17, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The disciples ask in verse 26, who then can be saved? Where the man asked what he needed to do, their question lays bare the reality that there is nothing that anyone can do to achieve the standard of God's holiness and to be saved. It's a much better question, isn't it? And look at Jesus' response, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. What is impossible for a person to do is possible for God to do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
you must do the only thing you can do. You must turn to Christ and trust him. Trust his perfect life of obedience and holiness in the place of your sinful, selfish life. Trust his death on the cross to pay the price for your sin. You must empty your bag of everything in it and come like a child, empty handed to God. With nothing to give and everything to receive. And what's impossible for you to do, he will do. And then we finish with this most wonderful promise. In response to Peter's um, rather odd outburst in verse 28, is it a self-congratulatory boast? Is it a desperate plea? Hard to know. We've left everything to follow you. We get the most wonderful promise from Jesus. Verses 29 and 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. As you empty your bags and give up everything to follow him. Jesus will fill you up 100 times more, he promises here. You may lose your earthly home, your earthly family, your earthly fields, but you'll be part of the new kingdom family that Jesus is creating, as we saw last autumn at the end of chapter three. You'll eat the new food that Jesus gives, as we see in the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. You'll be given new healthy hearts, as we saw at the beginning of chapter two and in chapter seven. And you may suffer, you will be persecuted, but you will also be blessed far more than you can imagine. And after that, you'll receive eternal life. I wonder, do you believe that promise? Does it seem too good to be true? Having given things up for Christ, the spouse you don't have because you won't date a non-Christian, the home that you don't own, the holidays you can't afford because you've given away your money, devoted your working life to gospel work, the relationship with your family that's difficult, the friendships that have grown cold since you turned to Christ in your early adult years. Well, having given things up for Christ, I wonder, do you see only the lack, only what you've lost? Because Christ promises that if you pack your bag with nothing, if you throw out what's already in there, he will fill your bag with far more than you could ever have put in it yourself. What a wonderful promise that is. So come to Jesus. Keep coming to him like a child. Stop trying to show him your nearly full bag and let him fill it for you. Father, thank you for this example of the children who came to Jesus with nothing. And we repent of how we love to bring our good works and our wealth to you. We love to cling on to our good works and our wealth help us to come to you like children 
right now, today, tomorrow, in the week, in the years ahead. And thank you for this extraordinary blessing that what we give up, you will give us a hundred times more and eternal life. May we cling not to worldly things, but to the promises of Christ. Amen.